And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another off-season edition of Football and Grits. Uh, Alabama and Tennessee, they tend to get tangled pretty often. And last week, they got tangled again. Henry To'oto going from Tennessee to Alabama. Tennessee knew he was gone for the most part for quite some time. But it's, you got to be rooting for him to uh, not make a uh, return trip to the schedule. Ohio State in the mix there late. Alabama, Florida in the mix there. Wasn't sure if he's going to stay on the West Coast, but he's going to Alabama, which means Tennessee is going to see him again. It's been rumored for a while, on again, off again. All amid kind of a background of, of relative silence from the Toto end. We had his dad talk to a, uh, a website uh, a while back and you know mentioned that they didn't want to make the same mistake they made the first time, which if you read between the lines, uh, you know certainly Tennessee fans didn't take to that. But there's been a lot of rumor, a lot of uncertainty, but that uncertainty is gone now. What is certain is that Alabama has a new inside linebacker. He's pretty good. We'll talk about that later. Uh, I'm joined by Aaron Suttles, who uh, I'm sure you've heard. If you're a longtime Football and Grits listener, he covers Alabama for us. Aaron, what's your understanding of kind of how this came together? Well, when when he went into the portal, as you mentioned, it was you know because Alabama finished sort of runner-up for his services mm-hmm. um, in his initial recruitment when Jeremy Pruitt had, had left Alabama um, and did a, did a good job recruiting the family. So when, when he went into the, the portal, it was sort of, a, you know, a lot of people were like, well, Alabama's probably in play here. And then it just it dragged on. And the longer it dragged on, I just kept hearing, well, if Alabama's going to take him, the, not that they need like some handshake, wink, wink agreement from the SEC, but they would have to have some sort of understanding or, you know, basically they, they didn't want to waste – a player for a year you know they didn't want to mm-hmm. take a transfer player if he wasn't going to be eligible this year because they got number issues i mean they're gonna to have to do some work to get down to that 85 um you know once all those uh, the other freshmen report at the end of the month so um the longer it dragged on that you know the the last i had checked on it probably a week and a half ago i i Alabama was still in it but i just heard that their interest was waning and that obviously proved not to be the case but um, my first thought is I would expect him to be eligible this fall. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think that's if, as my, my understanding is that Alabama wouldn't have wasted, not wasted, better, better word, but Alabama wouldn't have used a scholarship on a player that would not have been eligible this year. Yeah, I, I don't think it's worth spending that much time talking about some of the transfer stuff. I mean, we've seen uh, most other leagues – um, at the power five level and the lower and the lower levels basically say they're not going to, uh, you know, restrict transfers within the conference as the national rule of immediate eligibility comes aboard. The conferences have to pass uh, their own legislation. There's so much, um, um, you know, uh, motivation for the SEC to pass that. 
it feels like a matter of time. I would be shocked if that's the case. But, uh, you know, I think ultimately, you know, we wrote about this, but losing Tosh Lapoy the first time around uh, basically flipped him to Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee had Kevin Simon. The, the De La Salle connection was hugely important for him. Ohio State, I, I thought, made a ton of sense. They lost three linebackers. You knew he was going to be able to get on the field. Uh, he's a little more suited to the Big Ten style of play. He, he's struggled in pass coverage. He's got to grow there. Um, when you look at that – that that battle between Alabama and Ohio State, from what you understand, why, why do you feel like it, it, he tipped to, to sticking around the SEC? I think he was more comfortable there, um, the relationships that he had in the initial re- recruitment. And um, Ohio State puts a lot of kids in the league, but, I mean, Alabama's just had the, the biggest infomercial you could ever have a couple weeks ago with the NFL draft mm-hmm. uh, with all those first-rounders. And uh, I, I think that, you know, you see – these kids want to go to the next level and they want to be developed. And, and, and that's, oh, you can certainly do that right at Ohio state. I just think it came down to relationships, the relationships he had at Alabama, um, the, the, you know, he met some people going through the recruitment process that are still on the team, you know, all of that, the family's comfortability with, uh, with Alabama. And I think that's probably what won out in the end. Yeah. You know, those relationships are really big for him and his family. I think, um, you know, I, I think when you look at it, I, I agree with you. I think that's that's basically uh, just knowing how he operates and, and how his family operates, how important that is. You know, from the Tennessee perspective, it's it's sort of like a one-two punch because for a long time, I think Tennessee fans have have become resigned to he's not coming back. You know, when he went home for the holidays, uh, Jeremy Pruitt's still employed, but he didn't come back. Um, when everybody else was reporting, he was still doing classes online, stuck in, in, in California. And at that point, Tennessee fans are kind of like, well, I don't like the sound of that. Uh, Jerry Pruitt's there. The, the rest of the team is there getting ready for offseason workouts. He's not there. Then Jerry Pruitt gets fired. Then you're like, well, all right. Like, you kind of expect it if you're a Tennessee fan. Uh, and then, of course, you hire Josh Heupel. He's still not coming back from California. It's still silence. And then he enters the transfer portal, and then you're sort of wondering, but he's not shutting the door, all these things. But Tennessee fans were, were – I don't think there was very many people, anyone who's paying attention or even those who weren't really paying attention because it's been talked about for so long, thought he could come back. But I, I think, like you mentioned, when it was in Alabama for so long, when there was no official announcement – I think Tennessee fans were like, maybe we don't have to deal with this guy <laughs> again, you know, as your permanent crossover opponent or, you know, Florida was in the mix there a little bit, but it, it's, it's one, it's having to deal with him in that he's going to, you know, come and beat you next year. Um, that game's in Tuscaloosa, which I think helps a little bit, <laughs> but this is just a new, a new experience for Tennessee fans in that, you have a guy who, you know, last year he uh, beat out Trey Smith for our fan survey um, of their favorite player on the roster. And Trey Smith is one of the most beloved guys ever, a guy that put a lot on the line for Tennessee. Part of that's being an offensive lineman, but Henry Toto beat him out as the, their favorite player on the roster. Uh, he had a rough 2020 season, um, you know, lost some weight, wanted to get a little bit faster. Uh, it wasn't as sure of a tackler, but he's still their best defensive player. He is, uh, or was, I should say. 
And so it's one thing to lose that guy. It's another thing to lose that guy to a rival. And it's another thing to lose that guy. And no Tennessee fan can say, well, you know, he shut us down, but you know what? We're going to come beat him come fall. Like that, That's not going to happen. It's just like a bracing for impact. It's like another punch in the face uh, or somewhere lower that Tennessee fans have to deal with again of just like, okay, not only did you just lose your best defensive player, a lot of fans' favorite player, but now you have to watch him wear the jersey and probably excel and probably do some great things um, at a place that has just kind of ground your nose into the dirt for the last decade plus. Most of those losses, um, pretty lopsided. And I I feel for Tennessee fans, it's, you know, a a bleak existence when you have to watch that. (laughs) But when you look at his fit in Alabama, is it, you know, Dylan Moses is gone. Is it as simple as just plug and play? He goes in there and, He's going to be that guy. He won a job in a really crowded room as a true freshman when there wasn't really an opportunity for him to get on the field. He just beat out pretty talented, more experienced guys. Is he Alabama's new starting linebacker the second he steps on campus? It's, it's hard to envision that he's not. And you go back to the comments that Nick Saban made during spring when this topic came about, about you know the transfer portal and players um, having that mobility. And, and he basically said, look, uh, I, I don't think it's good for the game, but Alabama's going to benefit for this. You know, I don't, I don't see a ton of great players that, that play for us leaving, but we're going to be able to add some players. And on the tail end of that, he said, you know, if it's got to make sense for us that they, this, the player that we take has got to be better than, than the other players at his position. So based on Nick Saban's own words, you sort of automatically, the moment that that news comes out, you put um, Henry T in, right next to Christian Harris. And now you start looking at Alabama's linebacker situation, which for a couple of years ago was pretty brutal relative to what Alabama's had over the you know last 15 years and the play they've gotten. You start looking at Christian Harris, Henry To'o To'o, Will Anderson, and, and um, Christopher Allen, and suddenly you got one of the, I mean, inside and outside, maybe the best linebacker room in the country. So, Mm-hmm. He, he's not going to be handed the job, but, but the fact that Nick Saban said that about his philosophy on bringing in transfers leads me to believe they think he's better than anybody else they have there right now. Yeah, I think uh, I, there's not it's, – it's not the reasonable Tennessee fans, I think, that were, oh, you know, he struggled in coverage last year. He's overrated, all this other stuff. You know, I think they'll be watching closely – um, to see what that development, what that production looks they, like. I had people on my Alabama. Twitter mentions convinced this guy was trying to convince me this guy was a scrub. Yeah, well, he can't play. Wrong. He's horrible. <laughs> he's struggling. Yeah. Listen, he struggled in pass coverage last year, and teams really attacked that. Um, but he's he, his read and react is good. Uh, I would say elite football IQ is off the charts. The dude works really hard. Uh, listen, I causation is a complicated concept, right? But last year, Brian Niedermeyer was a first year linebackers coach. Um, he'd never coached linebackers at the college level. And Henry Toloto struggled. Are those two things, you know, cause I'm not sure, but ultimately he, he probably slightly regressed last year in a handful of ways. And teams were really attacking him in pass coverage. Is he, you know, the perfect player, a, a surefire first round pick. No, maybe he can play his way into there, but just based on 
skills alone, the fact that he has basically zero red flags. I mean, he, he does everything right. Really good kid, really smart kid. Um, you know, if he is fine at Alabama, I mean, he's probably a day two pick at worst after one year, we'll see if he sticks around for year two. It seems like the conventional wisdom is it's a one year deal um, at, at Alabama. I, I can't say I'd be floored if he stuck around for a second year. We'll see. It'll depend on how this year goes. He's not a scrub. Like, can he improve a lot? Did he probably regress last year? Yeah. I'd say it's probably, both those things are probably true. Was, I was would say that sometimes the, the larger structure. What'd you say? Was the weight loss on purpose? Cause two fifteen yes. seems a little light inside. He wanted to be able to get sideline to sideline faster. It was an emphasis for him. Um, how much of that is changing game? How much of that is uh, a request from the staff? It's hard to know. I think maybe he sees the game changing and thought that that maybe at the NFL level, if he's a little bit lighter, you know, he can uh, be more marketable. I, he got lighter. I don't know that he got that much faster just watching him. He didn't look a ton faster. It's not like he looked like all of a sudden he was a safety. Um, it just, he bounced off people a little bit more last year. Um, but I just think the developmental structure of Alabama is so proven and so tried and true, despite the constant turnover of coaches that it's hard to believe he's not going to get better coaching there. Um, Tennessee last year was kind of a mess in a lot of ways. And, uh, I have a hard time believing he's not going to benefit, um, at Alabama and that's, going to be a hard pill to swallow for Tennessee fans, but I think any Tennessee fan can say, you know, last year was probably not the ideal atmosphere for players to, to operate. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure some of that regression, I mean, I don't think you can totally overlook um, the COVID stuff where a lot of guys were out in Tennessee, Tennessee didn't really get, they didn't really get a spring. They didn't really get a preseason camp. And that's where a lot of development happens. A lot of that's during the season too. But I think some of that is true as well. When you have a first year, position coach and and you don't get a ton of work with them um I, I that's a factor it just is and you know i i if i'm a betting man i'm betting on henry toto to have a great career at alabama however long that is and it's one year i i just think again the football iq is off the charts uh the toughness is off the charts uh, i mean he dislocated his knee as a freshman and just like kind of kept playing he was like, ah, we'll pop back in and keep playing. And then he had a brace on the rest of the year and he was still really, really good in 19. Uh, just all of the intangibles that you'd want out of a linebacker he has. And then you put him into that Alabama, you know, ecosystem. And, you know, if he's not hearing his name called pretty early in the draft very soon, I'll, I'll be surprised. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
why. You know, looking at the larger structure of, of Alabama, you know, Nick Saban kind of warned people uh, not long ago that, that they'd lose some great, some good players, but they'd pick up some great players too. Henry Toto, not the only one, Jameson Williams also coming to Alabama. Now, now Aaron, I know Alabama, they've had a, a rough recent history with receivers. It's been a long time since they've had a good one. Um, but why in the world would Jamison Williams want to come to Alabama as a receiver? That that doesn't make right? sense. Right. I can't imagine those four first round picks in the last two and it's odd. Drafts. It's odd. Um, you know, I'm I'm curious to see what Bill O'Brien, what kind of offense he runs, because under under mm-hmm. Sarkeesian, it, those receivers just flourished. And even under Mike Loxley, they flourished. But mm-hmm. especially the last two years, they they were just so creative and they had an offensive line that allowed them to take some, um, you know, some routes and, and combo routes that, that if you don't have a great offensive line, you're not going to be able to run some of, of some of the routes that they ran. But, you know, you look at what Nick Saban said during the spring and, you know, John Mechie was out um, of spring. So it was a, a wide receiver room that suddenly without, I mean, you're, the top guy in terms of production that was available for spring was Slade Bolden. And, and he's really just a slot guy. Um, caught his first uh, touchdown pass ever in the national championship game against Ohio State. So it's a room that looks completely different than it did two years ago than it did last year. And Nick Saban, even talking about John Mechie, said, you know, he, he likes speed. You know, speed kills is what Nick Saban said. And Jamison Williams, if you look at what he has in abundance, it's speed. And um, a lot of people looked at it and said, well, if you, if you weren't going to get on the field, at Ohio State, how are you going to get on the field at Alabama? Well, you get on the field because Alabama just lost four first-round draft picks, and there, there are a lot of talented guys. In fact, the, the 2021 class they just signed, Alabama's got four of the top nine receivers in the country coming in. And we saw one of those guys on A-Day, and he looked incredible at Jai Hall. But they're unproven. They haven't caught a pass in college. Um, so – I think you look at the speed that he brings that, how he can take the top off of defense. That's how he fits in there. Obviously the allure of Alabama and them featuring the receiver all of a sudden, Um, you know, for a long time, Alabama didn't feature a receiver. It was a lot of uh, play action passes and power running game. And now it's, um, they're just throwing the ball all over the place and and a receiver can really make a name for himself and, and market himself that way. So Nick Saban said it, you said it, David. I mean, he, he knew what was coming. And um, he he knows that for you know they're Alabama's going to lose great players right you know they're going there's just not enough uh, guys you can get on the field at once so great players they recruit are going to leave um, mm-hmm. Brandon Brandon Turnage is a guy that just entered the portal for Alabama last week great player there's just guys in front of him that are going to play so you know Tennessee actually benefited from that you know several years ago when a guy like Alvin Kamara couldn't get on the field because they had Derrick Henry in front of him and TJ Yeldon in front of him. So he transfers out, goes to JC, and then we know what he did at Tennessee and obviously what he's doing in the pro ranks. So you're going to have some players like that that are going to have great careers. But most of the guys that transfer, you really almost never hear from them again. And then now Alabama is just going to uh, cherry pick the guys they want that are already starters at other places that have already made a name for themselves, that already developed themselves, and they're going to bring them in. So we're Alabama may have a hole in the offseason to start. They that same hole may not exist by the time fall camp rolls around because they can, you know, they can supplement their roster through the transfer portal. It's um I think it's good for players to have that mobility, to have the ability to go somewhere else where they will be able to play. 
but I don't think it's going to bring parity to the game at all. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to to differentiate. You know, the the point of the transfer rule is not to undercut Alabama's dominance and and install parity to a sport that again is it's basically orbiting around three to five teams. You know, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and then Oklahoma gets in there. Notre Dame kind of gets in there. Beyond them, I mean, those are the teams that are living in the playoff. So in some ways, expanding the playoff is about, hey, let's try to get some parity because we're seeing some some recruiting um, uh, side effects of that in that it, it's, it's creating this gap that is, is not good for the sport. But the transfer rule is not about that. The, the transfer rule is about doing what's right, giving players more autonomy, um, more agency, and the coaches can complain all they want, but it's the right thing to do. But – you know, I'm starting to wonder if the they should replace the national championship trophy with just uh, you know a laser cut image of the uh, the Nick Saban sheepish grin because he just lords over the entire sport and and that's you know every rule that is changed ends up it seems like it makes <laughs> Alabama better yeah. and and this was going to happen I, I didn't disagree with with Nick Saban when he said this it, it, it seems like you know this was probably where it was always going to go. But what do you make of, of this, that every time college football shifts, Alabama seems to only be benefited by it? Uh, it's it, He's the most adaptable coach maybe in the history of the game. Uh, and, and, and think about this, and I always say this, uh, adaptability is a great skill set that people who have had a ton of success don't often have that ability. Because once you've achieved at the highest level, you become somewhat reliant on how you got there because you've probably spent a lot of time um, building your program, your philosophy. And so, you know, through, through trial and error, you've come up with a system, a philosophy, whatever, whatever you want to prescribe it to. And it works for you. And then think about how scary it could be to completely go away from that because the rules of the game have changed or the game is changing. Nick Saban's done it a lot. Nick Saban came to Alabama and he was the best recruiter in the country and he did it because he outworked everybody. And then they came up and said, oh, you know what? You're not allowed out on the road in spring anymore. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take that away from you. Well, then he just hired great assistant coaches to go do it for him. Um, and then he questioned, you know, you know, do we want offensive linemen allowed three yards downfield, you know, blocking? And so you don't know if it's a pass or a run. Do we really – is this where we want the game to go? And then he said, okay. And so he adapted his, he adapted his entire program to that. I mean, I'm talking about the sizes of the linebackers, the sizes of the defensive linemen, everything, the type of player uh, that they brought in. Think about the receivers Alabama's had since they've gone spread. I mean, just think about the names that have been there in the production. Uh, and then they finally conquered the one thing that Nick Saban had never really had at Alabama, which was great quarterback play. I mean, they were all sort of, described as game managers right and then the caretaker <laughs> and then he starts bringing in playmakers and so it's all sort of um come together he's just he's not going to sit still and he's fine if you want to change it um but he knows in the end it's going to benefit him because he's what he because of what he's built and because at the end of the day players want to go to the nfl and Alabama's pumping them out at a rate that's incredible. And, and you can do so and be featured and play against the best competition and practice every day um, in, it, within the SEC and win national championships and go on and have a pro career. I, I, he's just um, – he, he's a guy that's never going to stand pat on 
he never looks back. He's never complacent. It's the same guy that gets mad because he has to go to a press conference after a national championship win when he could be recruiting. That's just the way he's wired. He doesn't um, – it's almost like he doesn't care about how or why they did things in the past and the success, and the success that they've had off of that. If you want to adapt, he's already got a plan for it, and you know, most likely he's two or three steps ahead of everybody else um, in, in that regard. I think that's the simplest answer to the question of why can no one else duplicate this? Why can, you know, all the Saban tree, uh, why do all those saplings dry up? They don't have that adaptability and that there's not like a, a Saban secret sauce. It's just that he's better than everyone else. And he uses them, the people that he brings in his program and brings the best out of them and, and puts them in positions to succeed. And they just don't, have that same ability uh you know obviously you know jimbo fisher you can sort of you know uh figure out what you want to say about where he stands on the saving tree he's obviously been out and done his own thing um you know kirby smart right now is the most promising branch uh, of that tree but it's still saban's got the edge on those guys um and and it is that adaptability uh, I think we've, it's never been more clear than in this, you, you mentioned the big picture philosophical shift of Alabama was for so long, just a joyless death star of destruction. And there's still that, but now they're a lot more fun to watch. Uh, they were not fun early on. And now they're, you know, they're pretty fun to watch. Uh, Devonte Smith was on the short list of most fun players to watch last year. Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, uh, obviously Tua looking at the next generation i'm pretty high on bryce young we mentioned on the last show i think i said i said i don't really want to put undue pressure on the kid i'm not saying that he has to do this but i'm saying if i could go to vegas and put a bet on bryce young to win the heisman and or be the future number one pick i would probably do that maybe both what what is the internal view of of bryce young at alabama he's special um in a way that and again, I'm not comparing. I'm not trying to project the success he's going to have, but he, he shares a lot of characteristics with Tua. He's mm-hmm. a little. He's short. I mean, the guy's not nowhere. He's nowhere near six foot tall. Um, and he processes quick. And I think his game is built on the RPO, which I'm really curious. I mean, I know Bill O'Brien had Deshaun Watson in Houston. I want to know how how comfortable Bill O'Brien is with the RPO because Sark was special. Sark was really really good. Um, and he, he probably didn't get enough credit for what Alabama was, but just because of all those weapons that he had to, to, to utilize, but he was really, really good. Um, so you look at Bryce, I think he's got the ability, dual threat quarterback, um, makes quick decisions, uh, is fairly accurate with the football. I, I think, but I kept hearing, and I know, and I'm not saying this to, to cast any shadow that, that Bryce Young is not going to be the starter because he is, he's absolutely the starter day one. No questions asked. But this Jalen Milrow guy, they got out of Texas. I'm hearing a lot about him. He's a big guy. He's ex- you know exceptional athlete, and he's got a big arm. Now again, you know he didn't play in the spring game. He was held out for a medical issue. He's behind the eight ball. He's you know in, in relative to Bryce Young because he Bryce has got that year experience on him. But I just think you know they're going to make things simple for Bryce this year because Alabama's offense is is sort of built to be a running team. With that big offensive line they got. I know they lost some guys, but they've, they've got plenty of talent offensive line. They'll roll those guys in there. And then this is the running backs they have. They, their running back room is absurd. 
in talent. They got Brian Robinson to come back for a fifth year. Jace McKellen, they beat out a couple years ago, Oklahoma out for him. Uh, Roydell Williams from here, same, same high school as, as Jameis Winston. Um, Trey Sanders is a five-star guy. If he comes back healthy after the car accident, and they, you know, by the way, added a five-star running back from Texas in this year's running running back class in Kamar Wheaton. They are loaded at running back. So I think they are, at least early on in the season, they're going to lean on that running game and make things as simple and sort of roll the playbook out little by little for Bryce. But the, the marriage there between Bill O'Brien and Bryce Young is going to go a long way to, you know, determining how – how far this offense can go, you know, talking to Christian Hackenberg, the former Penn state coach who played under Bill O'Brien, he said he puts a lot on the quarterback. And so, you know, Bryce played some last year, I believe he played in seven games, all of it mop up duty, but he didn't have one snap in meaningful action. So that, that relationship there is going to be important on, on how this offense grows. Vic Torinox, the makers of the original Swiss army knife have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss army knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. How much do you think, you know, I always say, you know, the, the five-star guys, um, you know, you sort of throw in at the end, oh, they add this five-star from Texas. When those guys go to a lot of places outside of that, that you know, four to five team uh playoff orbit there's this idea of like it's on you to take us to the next level you need to be our savior you need to be the the next guy the second you step on campus how much of a draw do you think it is for those kind of guys to go to alabama and and not have to shoulder that do you think that's that's something that that a lot of recruits think about in terms of i can be great here but I don't have to be all of this, all of these insane expectations day one. You know, Ty Simpson, same type of thing. If he came to Tennessee, I mean, it would be absurd because it, it, from day one, they'd expect him to look like Peyton Manning, and he's not <laughs> going to have that at Alabama. How much of a factor do you think that is for guys to be able to go there and just develop and take their time? And when it's their time, I mean, so many guys have shined. 
I think it's a personality trait that it comes down to because you don't go to a school like Alabama unless you're hyper competitive. Um, mm-hmm. because, and I think that's why Alabama recruits so well, honestly. I mean, schools try to negative recruit Alabama by saying you're never going to play there. And Nick Saban flips it and said, well, I wouldn't be recruiting you unless you could play one. And two, you're going to be going up a guy against a guy in practice every day that's going to be better than the guy you're going to play on Saturday most instances. So um, the competitiveness is there. But you, I think there is something to that because you look at a guy like J.C. Latham, a five-star offensive tackle from, from IMG Academy there in Bradenton. And I've been told, like, hey, I'm fine if I play, but I'm also fine in sitting back and learning a year and developing a year and you know, not waiting my turn, so to speak, but just building myself in my development. Um, and there are certain guys like that. Um, you know, and, and it also depends on the position, really, too. Like, there are certain positions. It's really difficult to play as a true freshman. Um, and, you know, offensive line is one of those, although Alabama's had some of those guys, linebackers. A, a, a very difficult position to play in Nick Saban's mm-hmm. secondary, but you know, skill position players like you know, wide receiver, running back, they get on the field more quickly in places like Alabama. So, I just, I just think it depends on your personality trait. Um, you know, a guy like Alvin Kamara was not content to sit. You know, and he got hurt early in that, that first camp that put him behind, and he was never able to make that up. And it just sort of the relationship just sort of deteriorated until he transferred, but. Um, I think the there are some players that have that mindset, and there are some players that aren't happy unless they're playing, and there are some players that, that just sort of go by the process and develop at at the rate they're going to, and those type players tend to have the most success. Mm-hmm. I, I think as Alabama has ascended to, we're going to beat everybody by forty, and then there's going to they're going to play three or four games a year that they can lose. I think Alabama has has crossed over into the the UConn women's basketball territory of the conversation about being bad for the sport um, and, and all of these uh, sorts of things. So as you look to big picture, I mean, the adaptability we've talked about, is there a recipe for Alabama to come back to earth that is not Nick Saban retiring? Is there something that you could see where you say, you know what, if this happens, Alabama might have trouble adjusting to that. No, it's gonna take it's gonna take that man retiring. I I think. I think I'm with you. He just because like he's had multiple ads. Um, one ad he didn't particularly get along with, and he made it work. Um, he gets anything he wants facilities wise. Um, there 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 is one thing that might drive him out of the game that I've been watching closely, but he he just seems to manage it. it just as well as you can manage anything. And that's the fact that his coaches leave very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, the Nick Saban rehabilitation center. Yeah. 50% of the staff is gone a couple few years ago. It was 70% of his on the field coach is gone. And I always tell people that's a big number, but what you don't see are the roots underneath the, the Brian Niederbeyers, the guys that weren't on the field, but were very key behind the scenes coaches. When they leave, take those guys too. So now you're, you're constantly your foundation of your program is constantly under attack because of, of opportunities for, for guys to go elsewhere. I mean, you look at Charles Huff. I mean, he's now a head coach at, at Marshall and mm-hmm. um, Alabama really wanted to keep him. Alabama really wanted to keep Carl Scott. He goes off to the, to the Vikings. So when Nick Saban gets coaches that he likes that recruit well, that develop, they don't stick around long because they get career opportunities. So I've always wondered at what point are you just tired of, having to interview 
people maybe you don't have a firsthand connection with and and maybe that just drives him away but he's handled it i mean he added two nfl coaches to his staff this year and i don't know how they're going to work out uh doug marone and, and bill o'brien but the fact that he can go get two former nfl coaches and um you know, he, you know bill o'brien can talk about tom brady with <laughs> with bryce young and any quarterback the short list of guys who can do that it's i think it's one <laughs> i mean it's incredible so no to answer your question it's going to take him just either something pissing him off to the point he leaves, which he's been so adaptable. I don't see that happening. Or he just finally gets to the point where he wants a new challenge and maybe TV. But he's he's like I talk about the players being hyper competitive. This guy's hyper competitive, and it's tough to walk away. Is he gonna is he really gonna retire no matter how much money they pay him and go sit on the college game day set and do a and wait two hours to do a fifteen minute hit over two segments? Is that is that gonna is that going to sort of um, you know satiate his his competitive desire? I, I, don't, I don't know, but it's going to take him leaving because um, or is you know and he's perfectly healthy. He's just uh, everything they throw at him. He seems to have an answer for. And even when you know he, some teams, I've thought you know they've lost too much. They're not going to compete this year. They're right back in the national championship game. So um, you know maybe Kirby or, or Jimbo finally overtakes him, and, and Nick Saban's ego can't handle it. And he's steps down but that hasn't proven to be true yet and doesn't look like it's going to be true anytime soon well listen i don't i don't want to overstep my bounds um and i don't want to uh go beyond what we should go beyond but but i i, I want to make an offer on this podcast uh and i want to say that nick saban if you really want to host well not host i'll host you can you can co-host an sec football podcast <laughs> the spot's open football and grits uh, you know, we may have to run some paperwork and may have to move some things around again. You can't have lead host duties. I will do that. He can be the co-host. Um, but we, we will do that. Um, we'll talk about it. We'll work out the details, but if Nick Saban wants to, to co-host this podcast, um, that, 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 that option is open for him. It's probably closer right now than it was a couple of years ago because he has now experience of, uh, of with zoom, right? I mean, he's had to mm-hmm. do press conferences by that and, I'm sure he's got people behind the scenes with it because he's not really known as a technology person, doesn't have a Twitter. But, um, you know, m- maybe the fact that he's a little more comfortable with doing these, uh, these virtual talks, uh, we have a better chance of landing them now than we did last year. Well, I think it's everyone's dream to run an SEC podcast. I'm sure that it's his as well. And we want to make that come true for him. And if in the process we fix college football, that's fine too. Um, but ultimately, it's about making Nick Saban's dreams come true. And, and that is my goal. <laughs> and so with that, um, we'll close the show with a job offer. Nick Saban, come co-host Football and Grits. Come be my sidekick. Let's do this thing. Uh, that will do it for this offseason edition of Football and Grits. I am David Ubbin, joined by Aaron Suttles. Uh, it's going to be an interesting fall. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year. Uh, Aaron, we were talking about this on the last show. I'm just glad that we don't have to wonder or have any conversation about whether or not there's going to be a season. There's going to be football. And I forgot how sweet that sounds in May. So I'm looking forward to the fall. Thank you for listening. I'm sure you're looking forward to it too. We'll see you then. We'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 